following sermon is made available by Antioch Presbyterian Church, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Have you boys and girls ever played the game where somebody spins you around and around and around and they stop and what you have to do is walk a straight line? Have we done that? Yeah. Can you walk a straight line? No, you can't. Not after you've been spun around and around and around because you are very dizzy. You've lost what adults would speak of as an equilibrium. Um, your brain wants to go one direction that tells you to walk that line, but because your body's all out of sorts, having been spun around and around and around, you're dizzy, you're like a drunk, and you're staggering trying to walk that line. Now, that game is um, analogous, so to speak, a picture of what can happen to us spiritually. When in God's providence, we are... Are by our afflictions and distresses in a sense we're being spun around and around. And we've lost our equilibrium. God's Word says, walk in this direction. God's Word says, trust me. But just as the child who's played that game and cannot walk the straight line, we find ourselves in a situation that we really cannot walk according to God's Word. That's Job's problem that he expresses now in uh, the last half here of chapter 30. 29 to 31, Job's last speech. It's not exactly a response to his friends as much as a, it's a, actually called a proverb. It's, it's a piece of wisdom. And in chapter 29, he um, reflects on his past life and God's blessings on him and how he used those blessings to serve his neighbor. But then... And he anticipates that in verse 18 of chapter 29 where he says suddenly he talks about how it all collapsed. So he talks about that collapse in verse 30. Uh, he begins there with a, a but now. Uh, the young men who once were silent and respectful in Job's presence uh, uh, treat him with great disrespect. And then he actually goes on to show that it's not just the young but it is the, uh, the wicked, what uh, we've described as uh, white trash, people that live below the level of any normal people, uh, even poor people uh, in uh, the culture. And these are the ones who persecute him, this honest, magistrate, godly man who has only served others. Now he comes to the final expression of his depth of anguish. So even though he's not directly responding to his friends, Basically saying, look, here is who I am and where I am. I was here at this level of respect and usefulness, and now I am in the depth of despair and frustration. Now, in chapter 31, he will go on, as we'll see next week, begin to see, then to answer all of these uh, accusations against him for being a hypocrite. But here he expresses now the depth of despair, and it's the depth of despair of a man who under physical uh, and spiritual uh, affliction, distress, has lost his equilibrium and actually is spiritually dizzy. Just think about Job now in these verses as being spiritually dizzy. So we'll consider three things. That physical affliction brings us to a loss of equilibrium. 
spiritual affliction brings us loss of equilibrium and hopelessness brings us a loss of equilibrium. Think of equilibrium as the ability to walk according to God's will and to serve Him in the midst. We'll begin then in verses uh, 16 through 18 with this topic, this uh, explanation that my that physical description brings us to a place of a loss of equilibrium. Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. At night, it pierces my bones within me, and my gnawing pains take no rest. By a great force, my garment is distorted. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. Verse 16 is a transition from what he's just expressed in terms of um, what's happening in his life as he's persecuted by the riffraff of society and uh, to go into this various litany of things of his affliction uh, and he begins by saying and now my soul is poured out within me now notice the little word and now this is the third time in this chapter that Job has made this connection and the spirit wants you to pay attention there's a growing intensification in his cry. So in verse 30, after having described, 30 verse 1, after having described um, his usefulness and blessedness, note the contrast. But now, it's the same phrase we have in verse 16. But now those younger than I mock me. Then after describing the, the character of those who mock him, it increases. Uh, but now, and now, I become their taunt, a byword to them. They mock him and they physically persecute him. Now he comes to the depth in verse 16. And now, but now, my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. Soul here refers to uh, the inner man. Uh, and to great intensity, personal intensity. Sometimes the soul poured out is a reference to intense prayer, but it is also used for intense suffering. And so our Savior will say in Psalm twenty-two, fourteen, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. This is the, the concept that's behind Job's cry here. That his being has been poured out within him. Uh, that uh, his wholeness is gone. His heart melts like wax. And why? Days of affliction have seized me. It, it, interesting, isn't it? He now refers to his affliction, not as Paul will talk about momentary light affliction, but days of affliction. In other words, there's been an intense period of time from when this began to where he is now in his uh, soul. Um, and it's these days have come upon him. And, and the word translated in verse 16, seized me, is the idea, boys, of a policeman seizing a criminal and arresting him. Or grabbing a dog by the nap of the neck and taking him away and putting him in the kennel or, or whatever. That's the force of this word. is a, a forceful seizing that these days of affliction have brought on Job and thus he is poured out like water. His soul 
is melted within him. And he then, in the next two verses, uh, focuses on the particular affliction that he first has in mind, and it's physical. So when he says here that at night it pierces my bones, now the ESV says night pierces my bones, it can be translated either way, and at the end of the day it means the same thing, whether you personify night or whether it is in the night, that at night time he is saying that because of his illness, um, his bones within him are pierced, and there's gnawing pains that take no rest. Now, he's described the symptoms of his illness earlier in this book. And he's spoken of the uh, insomnia and nightmares and such he's had. But now he comes uh, to, to focus once again on the outward physical pain uh, that he's having. And he's saying that at nighttime, his bones ache from this affliction. And it's as if, now you've seen a dog gnaw bone. It's as if these pains are gnawing the bones of his body. You've been sick and sometimes in sickness, the real respite is sleep. And God's designed us that way, that often he uses sleep uh, as a restorative uh, when we are physically ill. But perhaps you've also had that night uh, where not only do you have some pain, but you have deep pain uh, in your bones. And you can't sleep. Deep pain throughout your body. That pain is relentless. It just is, is that dog that is gnawing a bone. That is the description that Job is giving now of physically how he felt even when he tried to rest. Got the, the weight off of the skeleton. Uh, put it in a, 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 a repine position. And yet the pain is intense and unrelenting. And then he speaks of another symptom of his uh, disease. And that is, by a great force, my garment is distorted. It binds me about as the collar of my coat. The best way to understand these words is that he has this white robe with a collar that comes in over the head. And in the first place, it is dry and distorted, excuse me, but with pus and blood. So this supple, nice cotton garment has become stiff and coarse and clings to his body. And then that neck piece is so crusted with blood and pus, it becomes like a, a, a strangler uh, uh, on his neck. It's, it's choking him off. There, there's no movement there. There's, it's, it's like a dog collar, but a tight dog collar. So he's describing here now intense physical anguish. That is the basis of this cry in verse 16, the initial basis. My soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have seized me. And it's because of that that he is in this place of lament where we find him here in these verses. And he sees no hope or no light. Now, some of you know a bit at least of what Job is describing. And you've had pain in the night. And a pain that was unrelenting or a pain of some other uh, physical illness or even a chronic illness. And you know that such physical pain 
can bring you to wit's end. And you begin to question the goodness of God. You begin to question, well, does God really love me? Because if God loves me, why in the world am I going through this? And what happens is you begin to lose your equilibrium, as Job does here. Well, he moves in, uh, in verse 19, uh, from his uh, physical affliction to his spiritual affliction. Now he gets really to the, the loss of equilibrium. And this is in verses uh, uh, 19 to 26. But there's two parts here. I think in uh, 19 to 23, basically in his spiritual affliction, his sense of rejection, he accuses God of cruelty. And then in uh, 24 to 26, he accuses God of injustice. And that's what we mean by the loss of equilibrium. Maybe you've been there. So first, he accuses God of cruelty. Verse 19, he's cast me into the mire, and I've become like dust and ashes. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up. You turn your attention against me. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride. You dissolve me in a storm. For I know that you will bring me to death and to the house of meeting of all living. He first uh, speaks of his spiritual distress in physical language where he says that God has uh, cast him into the mire. Now, mire is much more than mud. Ever been in a bog? That's mire. Mire is slushy, wet mud, and it just seems to pull you down. Uh, when I go uh, duck hunting in Mississippi uh, in January, I now have young men to help me <laughs> because these waders get pulled down into this mire. And I can't even by myself, without falling over, lift up a leg. Well, that's the idea. Perhaps you remember the story of Jeremiah in chapter 38 when he's thrown into a cistern with no water. And it says he falls into a mire and he sinks down. It's like quicksand. It's like a bog uh, physically. But now Job's speaking here spiritually as David does in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I've sunk in deep mire and there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I did not steal, then I have to restore. Now that's the condition that Job is describing here. A spiritual condition. In the mire. Attacked by enemies. Weary with crying. And that's what he has in mind here. When he says then. Um, he's, he has cast me into the mire. He's there not at the hand of enemies you see. He's there at the hand of God. Let me just note here. Um, because so many Christians in our day do not understand the sovereignty of God. Although Job reaches some wrong conclusions about the character of God, he had no doubt 
of the role of God, of the sovereignty of God. He was not one of those who would say, as I often heard say, God does not intend for that to happen. Believe me, if we lived in a world where something could happen that God did not intend to happen, I want off the train right now. Okay? No. He understood that he was in this predicament, in this spiritual distress, because of what God has and is doing in his life. And thus he says God treats him as if he's nothing. He's like dust and ashes just thrown up into the air. He's nothing. Now, he's described in verse 19 what God has done, but now he speaks to God himself uh, with language that should to some degree make us shudder. I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer me. I stand up and you turn your attention against me. You have become cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind and cause me to ride. You dissolve me in a storm, for I know that you will bring me to death, to the house of meeting for all living. In his spiritual distress here, in this affliction, he says that he is praying intensely and God is not listening. Uh, the word cry out is a word used in Scripture to show the intensity of prayer, as does standing. This is one of the reasons. Standing is the primary posture of prayer in Scripture. So we stand more than some congregations stand, and we sit a little more than they sit, because of this posture that gives intensity to prayer. So he says, I have shown great intensity in my praying to God. I've cried out. I stand up. But the says that God doesn't answer him. That God's turned a deaf ear to him. And then he says, in fact, God's annoyed by his praying. And God is gazing him down, staring him down. Even as he stands to pray to God. Now, that is the basis then of his saying, you have become cruel to me. Cruel because you've not answered my prayer. Cruel because you've thrown me into the mire. Cruel because you treat me with such contempt. True, cruel because you stare me down. When I come humbly seeking you. In fact, he says, instead of hearing his prayer, with the might of your hand, you persecute me. He's talked about the persecution of the rabble. Now he says that God is the one who is persecuting him, beating him up. Further example, you've lifted me to the wind and you've caused me to ride. He's like chaff that is thrown when the wheat is shown up and the wind blows the chaff away it is of nothing it is it is useless it is dissolved and Job says I'm being dissolved in the storm winds of God's wrath and he knows he has but one end and that is death I know that you will bring me to death into the house of the meeting for all living mark a description of death of the meeting house of all living only two men in the history of of the human race uh, did not die um it is what all men come to. This enforces what is said. It's appointed to men once to die and after that the judgment. But Job's friends had told him that if he would repent, that God would restore his life, not just his estate. And Job is saying, no, that's not the end. You know, I see the end. I see what God's doing with me. He is hastening me now to the tomb, the house of the dead. And so he's saying that God here is treating him with cruelty. Now, we recognize in this language that uh, Job is overspeaking himself. But we also need to recognize that we're going to deal with people who 
have come to that conclusion, perhaps there's been time in your life where you have reached that conclusion in the midst of physical and spiritual pain. And uh, you do not see the God of all comfort. You see a God who, in fact, is uh, persecuting you and treating you cruelly. Um, and uh, in your own situation, or as you try to help others, uh, we bear long with one another in these things and, and what we would say about God. Um, but we also must learn to train uh, our emotions. It's one thing to say to a friend, I feel that God's being cruel to me. You see the difference? Uh, it's not wrong to express to a, a brother, a sister, a husband, or a wife that, that this is what you think of God. It's not accusing God. And so we, we learn to speak then with moderation to express our feelings. Uh, and, but then particularly we want to train ourselves and train our emotions. And we'll come back to that after we look now at the second accusation, and that is that God is, in fact, unjust. In verses 24 to 26, Yet does not one in a heap of ruin stretch out his hand, or in his disaster therefore cry out for help? Hard verse to translate. I think the American Standard ESV do a good job here. He's not describing uh, uh, God in some way. He's describing himself or anyone who is in this heap of ruins. Again, the, the shambles of his life as he has described his life. Um, and he stretches out a hand and he cries for help. Now what Job is saying here, when, when one does that, one thinks there will be a deliverer. Particularly there will be a God who delivers. Uh, but now he enforces his case with the justice of God. He says, Have I not wept for the one whose life is hard? Was not my soul grieved for the needy? And what he's saying is that when I've stretched forth my hand, I ought to be helped. Now he didn't yet know, knew the concept. Christ hadn't spoken to the merciful God will be merciful. But that is a biblical concept. It is a concept of God's justice. Job's saying, and that's whom I've been. I have uh, helped the one who was in misery. I've alleviated the sorrow. I've grieved for the needy. But then when I expected good, evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. And here's where he's accusing God of injustice. He says, according to uh, the rule that I know of you, God, that as I have conducted myself with compassion toward those who reach out to me, I now should be receiving uh, aid and help. And so what's he implying? That God wasn't keeping up his end of the, of the deal. Now, in the first place, he misunderstands the sovereign grace of God. We don't merit God's favor. We don't earn it. Uh, but on the other hand, he failed to understand that well, God was in fact being quite merciful uh, to him. He just didn't know it because God was sustaining him. God had kept him from uh, denying God, from cursing God and denying. God had given him this measure of patience for which he will be known in the history of the church. But God would come to him later in even greater mercy. And it's true in our lives then that we don't always get what we think we deserve uh, from God at the time. But God actually stores up, so to speak, for us in heaven by His sovereign grace and because of the work of Christ will bless our labors and eventually 
And of course, if not in this life, in that day which is coming. And so Job once again speaks wrongly of God. And, and so then, as I anticipated, he's got to, we have to learn to train our emotions. Um, and let me just give you two helpful hints with respect to that. In the first place, you, you train your emotions by learning to think biblically. Now, emotions, in one sense, cannot be controlled because they are immediate uh, responses to things going on around us or in our lives. But we train our emotions with our thoughts and by knowing the Word of God and learning the Word of God and ordering our lives by the Word of God, knowing then who God is and that He's never cruel, No, even when He punishes the wicked, He's not cruel. He's a God of perfect, holy justice. He never acts out of wrath or passion in the way that we understand it. Um, And of course, to His children, God's never cruel. And so we learn about God, we learn these things, and the best place to train your mind with Scripture is when you're not in the midst of the cauldron. When life is fairly normal, and you have these minor afflictions and inconveniences. It's why God gives us the minor things that we might train ourselves at that point. Because He is training you. He's going to bring you into the cauldron. He's going to bring you into times, and not necessarily like Job, but He's going to bring you into very dark days at times. And if you've trained yourself in the minor afflictions, then you will be trained to think biblically. Secondly, we train our emotions by learning to bridle our tongue and not to speak what we are feeling. How many times in our marriages, if we just kept our mouths shut, there would not have been an ongoing difficulty, but we had to speak. And because we spoke, then we have tensions. The same then with God. We must learn not to speak. As I said, yes, I feel that God's doing this or that, but uh, not to express it. But then I think as well what we learn here about prayer. You see, Was Job correct that God didn't hear him? No. God hears the cry of every one of His children. But does God's uh, patience in not answering that prayer immediately mean that He's staring us down or treating us cruelly? No. He wants to teach us to persevere. Thus, our Savior gives us the parable of perseverance. The persevering prayer is something that God is building in us and gives us warrant. Remember that language in Isaiah 62, if it were possible to weary Him with our petitions. Or this delightful parable. It wasn't because He was a friend, but because of His shamelessness. So God's training us and He wants us to continue to pray. God will always answer prayer. Now, maybe it's not in the way that you're praying. But God's going to answer the prayer, of course, in the wisest way. But sometimes our disappointment is in the answer itself. Perhaps on Christmas morning, you girls have gone to the Christmas tree. There's been this present you've been asking for, and there's this box, and you've been thinking for a week, that is exactly the thing that I want. And with great anticipation, you open it, and it's not the thing that you thought it was. And you have a very hard time veiling the disappointment that's on your face. But you'll learn that your parents gave you something 
that was really good and useful, and you will become very thankful for it. And that happens to us in our prayers. Now, we read that last part of that parable that um, uh, we don't ask God um, for fish or egg and He give us something evil. And you know that. But our problem is sometimes we're asking for something that's not good for us. And He gives us the opposite. We're asking for a scorpion. We're asking for a snake. And He's given us uh, bread and, and uh, fish and eggs. And that's what we have to learn about prayer. We don't measure God's response to prayer by our immediate situation. Be assured that this God of all comfort hears and uses all of your prayers. That's the only way to avoid this loss of equilibrium into which Job fell um, in his spiritual distress. Well, in the very last section then, we see that um, hopelessness also um, brings us to a loss of equilibrium. Verses 27 to 31. I'm seething within and cannot relax. Days of affliction. Here we have that. Again, this is a long, drawn-out period of affliction from which there's been no apparent release. Days of affliction confront me. I go about mourning without comfort. I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. I become a brother to jackals and a companion to ostriches. My skin turns black on me. My bones burn with fever. Therefore, my heart is turned to mourning and my flute to the sound of those who weep. He's at the end of his rope. He describes himself again. He, he said there as we started this section in 16 that my soul was poured out within me. Now he says that I'm seething within. And the idea is of a bubbling cauldron set over a fire. And it's just bubbling and seething. And we know even the sound of that boiling is taking place. So uh, within, he's this uh, uh, scorched, boiling, passions, unable to relax. He, he has no rest. When he says days of affliction and confront me, the word has actually ambushed me, jumped on me, seized me. Remember how he expresses it in chapter 29 uh, when he says uh, in verse 18, Then I thought I shall die in my rest and shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters and dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is ever new with me and my bow is renewed in my hand. But it jumped up. Just as a a robber will jump on uh, a passerby or a mugger in the street. God mugged him. He said the days of affliction seized hold of him. And because of that, he is walking in mourning. Literally it is, I'm walking in darkness without light or sun. Which is simply an idiom that uh, he's walking in darkness. The darkness now of his loss of equilibrium. The darkness of spiritual desertion. And he's not just being rejected by God. There's no help for him anywhere. So he says in the second half of verse 28, I stand up in the assembly and cry out for help. But by now there's a pretty large congregation. We can gather that from various things that have already been said uh, in, in the book. The people have come to gap, to gaze, some to comfort, uh, many to mock. Um, uh, but he's in the midst of this large group of people. Now he's crying for help. And nobody's stepping forward to help him. Really, there's not much they can do for him, is there? With this physical and spiritual. But it's just the reverse. 
He says, but brethren, I've become a brother to jackals and a companion to ostriches. Now, the words are a bit difficult. I'm convinced about jackals. Ostriches might be owls or something else. But jackals are often used in Scripture to describe the desolation of people. And jackals and ostriches and owls live in desolate places. And Job is being cast out of society. He's rejected. And then they cry, awful cries at night. And he's crying in his desolate place. He's crying out for help. He turns back to himself. His skin has turned black, yes, from this disease. I have a close friend who has vasculitis, as he's described it to me. Probably what Job had. Um, But the, the skin has turned black. Perhaps it's actually turned black, though, from mourning and grief. As his whole visage and body is being distorted by uh, the pain in his the pain in his bones. Now the fever is deep, and the bones are burning. So here's the loss of hope. Therefore, because of all this, my harp is tuned to mourning, and my flute to the sound of those who weep. It is interesting to note the use of music way back when. And that's a good thing to know. Music is a gift of God. And we can see actually what he says here that music is good to make glad the heart. Music is also a good way to express mourning. And so his musical instruments, his harp and his flute, again, just a figure of speech, he has been turned now from joy and happiness to deep mourning. No alleviation of his pain. At wit's end, hopeless falling into spiritual equilibrium. He didn't know how to walk a straight line. He couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. Now, we see then it's because of his physical and spiritual afflictions, his hopelessness, he's fallen into this equilibrium, uh, or loss of equilibrium. But as I've meditated on this scripture, I'm sure you can see this, that really what we have here in spiritual uh, desertion and affliction is simply depression. That is really what Job's loss of equilibrium was, wasn't it? It was depression. Now, uh, depression at times can itself be a physical malady. And it can happen in our bodies because of, of chemistry, and that's one type of depression. And depression can also arise because of awful physical pain. And uh, it's not even as much initially that we're murmuring against God, but that we're simply cast down by it. But I want you to think here about this relationship of spiritual desertion and depression, and depression and spiritual desertion. It's a bit of a circle, you see. So there'll be times in your life when you have you feel rejected by God, and everything seems hopeless. It might not be physical problems. It might just be a life situation or whatever. And you become depressed because you think God's deserted you. Now there'll be other times that you're depressed and that brings you to the idea that God has deserted you. But in either case, as, as Ed Welch described, is that stubborn darkness. I think it's an excellent description of depression. It's what Job has here. This stubborn darkness of depression. Now one thing, for those of you that might suffer with some depression, uh, oftentimes depressed people like to think they're unique. And that gets, adds to their depression. But in fact, we learn from this that it's uh, not an uncommon thing. Hundreds of thousands of God's people throughout the centuries have, have suffered depression. But that's not at all uh, to discourage you. What I tell you is that it's, it's fairly normal 
not, not always, never, I mean, not always to the degree that many maybe have had it or to certainly not to the degree that Job had it, but uh, to some degree. Uh, but when you're in that deep, dark depression, you first need to remind yourself that, well, this is not unique. You know, this is not uh, abnormal in Christian experience. Uh, others have gone before me and God's delivered them just as he delivered Job. And so although you cannot see light at the end of the tunnel, you may talk to yourself and have that scripture stored up that God is not cruel and God will never leave you or forsake you. And so you wait on him, on this loving father. You keep looking to him. And then you look to him through Christ Jesus. Because he was also at wit's end, wasn't he? And all that he suffered uh, in his body for us. Um, all that uh, he suffered on the cross. Everything that we've seen in Job was Christ uh, magnified to an infinite degree. But he never called God cruel. He knew that God was not unjust because he was satisfying a proper justice of God. He never lost faith. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our Savior went through an experience much worse than Job's so that you and I will be delivered from the curse and bondage of sin and know that God is never cruel to you. How could God be cruel to you who gave you His only Son, who loved you with such love? No, He can't be cruel. He's a Father. Can you... Children, imagine your parent being cruel to you. No. And our Heavenly Father is not cruel. Now we come to the Lord's Supper. And this glorious feast that God has set before us. And it is a reminder of how much He has and does love us. That He gave us Christ Jesus. And how He will sustain you in those dark hours. And at some point will deliver you. Now may that not, might not be to death. But He will sustain you. He will uphold you by His everlasting arms and His mercy. And He will bring you safely unto Himself. So as you eat and drink this morning, be mindful of God's love and God's care. And may God give us all grace not to fall into this loss of equilibrium. Let us pray. Oh, holy God, we bless Your name and we thank You for this truth that You've set out before us now. Um, Lord, uh, give us grace to rest in You, to know that You do hear and answer our prayers, to train ourselves. Lord, forgive us when we do fall into bitterness and complaining. Give us grace to serve You well. And now, Lord, as we come to Your table, we ask that You will further uh, feed us and provide for us even as You promise here. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.